This passage ends with a man triumphantly processing into Jerusalem on a donkey. Crowds shout his name and lay palm branches down in his honor. He is called the King of Israel. Who is this king? Who is this man who garners attention like no other, whom the Jewish authorities are bent on killing? But before we look at the end, let us go back to the beginning, where we read about the king being anointed for a funeral in a gesture of extravagant worship. We know from the beginning of this chapter and the previous one that three individuals have experienced something truly life-changing. And for one of them, it was quite literally life-giving. Jesus has just raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, as one does. This is one of the most amazing miracles in John's gospel and clearly points to who Jesus truly is. As God himself, the Messiah, the one who brings resurrection and the one who is the resurrection. We know from verse two that the dinner prepared for Jesus was a thanks for raising me from the dead type of meal. If I'm honest, I don't really know if there is a normal way of expressing gratitude for being raised from the dead, but I'm sure some delicious first century Palestinian cuisine is at least a start. Who remembers in the first lockdown how we used to venture out our doors at 8 p.m. every evening to clap the NHS and key workers? Now, of course, it was a nice gesture celebrating the, the sacrifice these workers were making. But let's be honest, it was a little silly. These individuals were risking their life on a daily basis with a disease they knew very little about. No amount of clapping could ever express our thanks for what they did and the sacrifice they made. And so we have Martha, who is the one who gives thanks by serving Jesus and preparing a meal. And this is something which she does also in Luke's gospel. But Mary, Mary clearly thinks that a meal is not quite enough. And therefore she decides to carry out this act, which is so outrageous, people literally stop and stare. Before we look into this act, let's remind ourselves of who Mary is and her relationship with Jesus. In Luke's gospel, Mary is described as sitting at the feet of Jesus. In the previous chapter, she is also described as kneeling at his feet. Mary's posture is always to be close to Jesus at the feet of her master, listening and responding to him. Does anyone also remember that in the previous chapter, Mary is the one who exclaims, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. This exclamation, this rebuke, this authentic display of genuine emotion causes Jesus, the God of the universe, to weep with Mary. He 
he is moved to compassion by her and then moved to raise his friend from the dead. Jesus answered Mary's cry. Therefore, this personal act of devotion is motivated by Jesus' personal kindness to herself and her family. She carries out this extravagant act because of Jesus' extravagant kindness to her and her family. We read in verse 3 that Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. Now, Jewish women at at the time usually tied up their hair in public. The only time their hair hair would be down would be in private with their close family or during a funeral. This act would have been completely socially unacceptable in their culture. Not only taking her hair down is scandalous, but the touching of another man who who is not her husband is beyond reproach. Yet Mary does not care one jot. She completely acts without shame, without fear of judgment. She doesn't look around to see what others think, but responds to Jesus, the object of her heart, in reckless abandon. There are no barriers between herself and and her Lord. In anointing anointing Jesus' feet, Mary is humbling herself, putting herself on the level of a servant or even a slave, Feet are dirty, only the lowest washed feet. She is anointing Jesus as her king and the Lord of her life, and therefore he deserves her whole heart in extravagant worship in the way that she knows how. This act also reminds us of what Jesus does in the next chapter. He washes his disciples' feet, reminding them of the call to servanthood. Jesus is the king who serves, who serves our needs immeasurably more than we can know. Mary serves him back, but this could never truly live up to how he has served her. Mary understands that Jesus is is the king, the Christ, the one who is anointed, and responds accordingly. Mary gives Jesus her whole heart because of what Jesus has given her and who Jesus is in her life. We also read in the Song of Solomon this sort of act, this description of this perfume, where the writer says, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. This perfume here symbolizes a similar intimacy between Jesus and Mary. This intimacy means really knowing and being really known by another person. However, the posture of Mary is firmly recognizing that Jesus is her king. The relationship between Jesus and Mary was truly genuine, but it was also truly unique. Mary gave what she could, and we too are called to give what we can to him. We live with this privilege of Jesus as the Lord of all, the King of Kings, and yet he is someone who invites us into an authentic, personal relationship, who weeps with us in our sorrows and is always, always alongside us. 
Justin Welby, who's the Archbishop of Canterbury, once said about his relationship with Jesus that he's both someone one knows and yet someone one scarcely knows at all, an utterly intimate friend and yet one with indescribable majesty. Now, Judas's response is useful to the extent that it tells, that, that it tells just how costly this act was for Mary. 300 denarii or a whole year's wages is a lot of money. Her response, his response is reasonable. This gesture is indeed exceedingly generous. However, we know that Judas is a thief, and so his regard for the poor is disingenuous. Importantly, we can also see a contrast between Judas, who is the one who takes from the common purse, and Mary as the one who gives fully. Judas's response also says that this act of faith is over the top. It's unnecessary. When I sort of think, reflect on this, I, I know I myself think those same thoughts, judging another's act of faith as that over the top. And I think part of that thinking is a tendency to treat our faith sometimes as a Sunday-filled box to tick. What Mary does is therefore deeply challenging, as it says there should be no restraints in our devotion to Christ. He does not just deserve an hour on a Sunday evening, but deserves everything we have. Judas's response, Jesus' response to Judas also it echoes Deuteronomy 15, which explicitly tells that since the poor will always be here, we should always provide for them. But this care can only be motivated and enacted by our full devotion to Jesus, what he has done for us, and his love for the world. When I was at university, there was an opportunity to take part in my church's out outreach week. Now, this outreach was in the final week before I went home for the summer. At the time, I remember thinking I would much rather spend it with my friends doing what I like to call more unproductive activities than gardening or picking up litter. It genuinely felt like a sacrifice or a handing over taking part in the outreach. However, I came to recognize, and I still struggle to recognize this in other areas, that giving Jesus a week of my time is the least I could do. And in the end, I took part in the outreach and I was really personally greatly blessed by it. We all have opportunities to offer ourselves to Christ and make sacrifices for him. What can you offer Jesus, the King today? What can you pour out for him in worship because of who he is and what he has done for us? Now, although it seems that this act of worship was because of Mary's brother being raised from the dead, Jesus tells us something different that, it had another, that it has another meaning. He tells us that she bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. Although, Jesus, although Mary anoints Jesus on his head as king, there is also a recognition in the manner which, it's done, which it is done that Jesus will die. The dead are usually anointed on their feet. Jesus knows exactly 
what this anointing is pointing to, his death on a cross in just under a week's time. Yet we know that this death is good because through it, death is defeated and, and, leading, and it leads to new life and resurrection and it enables us to have that full, authentic relationship with Jesus. There is an interesting connection with the previous chapter where Martha warns Jesus about the stench of death surrounding the tomb of Lazarus. There should have been a foul smell. Death stinks. This smell lingers with the Jewish authorities still trying to kill Lazarus. And yet, in this passage, Jesus' death is sweet. His death is fragrant. The Hebrew word of spikenard is light. Jesus' death and resurrection is the light to the darkness. This sweet smell permeates the room as it is filled with the fragrance of, of perfume, of Christ's perfume. It overwhelms the space. There is a clear sense that Jesus' death on a cross, which we encounter next Friday, will be the greatest sacrifice of all as it gives us life and life in its fullness. Mary gives Jesus her whole heart because of what he did for her, and we give Jesus our whole heart because of what he did for us on the cross. I think there is a sense of hope throughout this passage. And although there is an obvious darkness surrounding Jesus with what the authorities trying to kill him, Hope still remains. 2 Corinthians 15 tells us, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. Christ's aroma, Christ's fragrance lingers. It remains and we can enter into it. I think part of the reason why this act is so outrageous, Mary's act, and doesn't really make sense is because of what it points to. As one theologian said, Jesus is the bottle. This bottle will not be held back to be kept and admired. This precious substance will not be saved. It will be opened and used at great price. It will be raised up and poured out for the life of the world, emptied to the last drop. Mary's act is indeed costly. Yet it points to an even greater act of Jesus' sacrifice for us. We pour out and offer what we can to Jesus, but everything we offer cannot compare to what he has done for us. Throughout, like, I'd say my life, I've sort of struggled with identity at times, with sort of this question of who am I, you know? Um, and, I, there was sort of, and then I think that was because there was many competing identities for me growing up and sort of being popular, getting good grades or um, being good at sport. Um, however, what, what I found with my faith is that I can trust in Jesus and I can trust in Jesus's death and what that death means for my identity. What, and, that means, and that means that I have an authentic relationship with him and he's the one who defines me. This passage ends with a clear image of who Jesus is. Despite what will happen in under a week's time, 
He is Israel's true king who has come to set his people free. Yet as he rides into Jerusalem, there are no soldiers beside him. He is not on a conquering war horse. He is not in extravagant regalia. There are no trumpets. The, this is what the crowd would have expe expected. But he is clearly the Messiah, the anointed one. His arrival on a donkey not only fulfills the prophecy in Zechariah 9, but shows the type of king Jesus is. This king arrives in lowly pomp, as the hymn describes. He comes in humility, a bringer of peace, the servant king, whose power is made perfect in weakness. The crowd cries, Hosanna! which means save us. They expect this Messiah to literally save them from the oppression of the Romans with a conquering army. Yet this is, this is not how this king does it. He saves us from our sin and rubbish through his death, humbling himself for you and I on a cross. He goes before us. Jesus is truly worthy of our worship because his pouring out, his humbling means we can have a full relationship with the King of Kings. I want to encourage everyone this Holy Week to enter the narrative, enter the story. Do think about how these individuals would have been feeling. Do think about how Jesus would have been feeling. But don't put yourself into the story as Peter or Judas or Mary, but as yourself. The Christian faith is about a personal relationship with the King of Kings. It is about your response to him, not as someone you are not, but truly as yourself. Mary was herself and offered what she could. So this week, journey with Jesus, asking, what can I offer this King, this God of the universe, who knows and understands me fully? How can I devote myself to others through him? How can I respond to his offer of life in its fullness, which we can all have through his death on a cross that, on that Good Friday 2,000 years ago? I'm just going to pray before I finish. Yeah, Lord God, I thank you that you are a king who is worthy of it all, who is worth our sacrifice. And I just pray, Lord, that right now each one of us can offer what we can to you, however big, however small. In Jesus' name, amen.